Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King, and you're listening to the Photography Podcast dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. I know that all of you have full-time jobs, full-time families, but you bought that camera for a reason. So pack your gear, grab your camera, get out there, get a flat tire. It's time for a Photog Adventure of your own. It's episode 159, and today's episode, I want to talk about smoke and mirrors, and that'll make sense. It's one of those cliches that's a cool, like it actually wraps up the topics of what I wanted to talk about so well. So I'm going to use it for the title and use this cliche to sum up what we're going to talk about today. But we're also going to talk about the Out of Moab conference and how that went. Uh, It was really, really cool in the middle of all of 2020 to have something like Out of Moab where we can go and just feel normal. Yes, everywhere I went, I had a mask on. I was constantly taking my mask off to get out. When I got outside, I was like, oh, whew mask off and then go back in with everybody mask back on we're all gonna do this as i talk to everybody hey how's it going yeah make sure that you get your focus with a carson loomy loop it was <sighs> thankfully m- mostly everybody felt safe outdoors and we were able to hang out together and you know i haven't heard of anyone catching or spreading the covid so thankfully we all survived the vid and got a chance to do photography so this last month, I guess it's October 2nd already, huh? Crap, it's going so fast. September is over. And you know what? I, th- I think even saying the phrase, it's going so fast, is something that all of us are okay with. Let's just speed up 2020, why don't we? Let's get 2020 to the end and push it off the stage and let 2021 take the center stage in our lives. We're sick of 2020, I gotta tell you. So to get this rolling today, this episode, I want to let you guys know right up front that I have a couple openings in workshops right now. I got one more opening right now in the Upper Peninsula. It is a combined workshop with Mary Beth Kaczynski where we're doing Aurora Photography up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And it's November 9th through 16th we have one spot left of the eight and so we only have space for one more let me know if you're interested in that or you can go straight to the website workshops.photogadventures.com the link is down below you can go right in there and sign up now the ones that you can't sign up for and you will have to email me are my two-night Oregon Coast workshops coming up Uh, what is those nights those nights are the Oh, da, 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 da. It looks like it's going to be the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th. Only two weeks away from today, 12 days. We'll be out in Brookings, then Bandon, then Pacific City for Cape Kiwanda, then Cannon Beach. I have four openings for the two-night in Brookings and Bandon, and I have three openings available for the Pacific City and Cannon Beach one. And because it's October, we still have the benefit of brilliant landscape plus Milky Way. If the sky is too clear... We do Milky Way. The sky is too moody and interesting. We've got some awesome landscape photography. So if you've ever been out to the Oregon coast and want to go again and join us out there, please do October 14th through the 17th. You can come to both of them and just stay for four straight days, or you can just pick two of the ones that you want to go to. I have openings. You'll have to email me at Aaron at photogadventures.com. So those workshops and that information is out of the way. Let's get rolling with the podcast. This year, despite the craziness of COVID, I have 
had a fantastic year teaching. I had a blast hanging out with Chris Smith and the whole team of Out of Chicago doing Out of Chicago Live and then Out of Chicago In-Depth, a lot of Zoom online conferences. And so it was terrific having a chance to be in Moab in person with 22 participants, six instructors, and Leslie and Chris out there in Moab doing a conference. In person was fantastic. Well, we had a few challenges. As you probably can guess, September 20th, 22nd, 17th, what was going on around then? The insanity that's still happening right now. The smoke, the wildfires in California, Oregon, Washington. It was intense. And as the conference began, we had the luckiest, luckiest clear out that we could have ever expected. Imagine an entire western continent of the United States has been covered with the smoke map. Have you guys ever checked a smoke map before? You ever looked online for the smoke map to see where the smoke is going currently? If you have yourself free on a computer listening to this at work or something or working from home and you have a computer nearby, go to fire.airnow.gov. The link is in the podcast description as well, but that fire.airnow.gov is my favorite smoke map. And that is just an interactive map where you can look and see, okay, here's a bunch of wildfires that are active. It'll show you little fire icons for where they are located. It'll show the severity of the burning and the situation when they're almost close to being taken care of. But more importantly is the gray blob overlay that is the smoke map. And as as you get familiar with the smoke map, you're going to notice that there's one layer and then the layer over it if it gets thicker and layer over it even a third time, depending on how many fires are coming together or how thick it actually is. And you'll see sometimes that, okay, my area has a thin covering. The rest of it is much more gray and thick. And so most likely I'm going to be okay for Milky Way. And then you go out and find out, yeah, I'm totally fine. It's not as bad as I thought, or it can be way worse than you thought. And so you got to watch out for the smoke map. I mean, we have always been fighting the moon with the Milky Way, clouds with the Milky Way, and now smoke. I mean, it's always been the case every summer. In fact, I tend to go to Oregon coast in August and not do anything in Utah in August just because potential wildfire smoke. And typically, unlike this year, the coastline is completely free, bereft of any smoke, while I shouldn't say bereft. That sounds like it almost wishes it had it. It doesn't wish it had smoke. It's glad that it doesn't have smoke. But that smoke is kind of working its way inland and not out over the coastline and the ocean there. But man, has it been bad. And so when I say that it was awesome in in Moab and all of Utah, honestly, we had this amazing horseshoe shape of gray blob that was thick. Not just one layer, two layers, three. It was three to four layers. Thick smoke, horseshoeing all around us as of the second day of the conference because there were four straight nights everyone together I should just explain it this way four straight nights of group photography on the first two nights we were fantastic but in that second night you can see that there was a bit of it covering northern Utah but not down in the southern part of Utah where Moab is so we are still counting our blessings there on the third night The third night is when, um, let me just quickly give you some foundation that 
with this group being 22 strong and there's only six instructors, I don't think I've even mentioned the instructors yet. I mentioned that, you know, Leslie was there as well as Chris Smith, but I do want to point out the awesome instructors. And those are David Akubian, David Kingham, Jennifer Renwick, and Royce Bear. And Royce Bear was my partner. David Akubian went out with Cecil and Cecil, I forget your last name. I don't know what it was, but you lived in Alabama, and I love hearing the story about that place that's, I think, in Scottsboro, right next to Huntsville. It's this store. Imagine if you leave anything in an airport, you have unclaimed baggage left in the airport over 90 days, where does it go? There's this one store out near Huntsville, Alabama, that buys all of it from the nation, almost all of it. There's a pretty good chance that your lost and found item is at that store, a secondhand store that people are buying the luggage, buying the interior, the contents of the luggage. And I think it was Cecil saying that he got tons of camera gear through that, as well as David. So that's a pretty awesome store. If you're ever out in Huntsville, Alabama, go and drive to Scottsboro and see this store. I think it's called Unclaimed Baggage store or something it is it sounds like it could be a treasure trove of like things that usually people don't want to lose but just accidentally left it and then never went back thinking well it's long gone by now and it's in that store you might even find something of yours in there still like oh man there it is that's my tripod that I left in Copenhagen I doubt Copenhagen gets it but Cecil was grouped up with David and then the other David David Kingham was with Jennifer Renwick his partner and so they grouped up and took a group of seven. David and Cecil took a group of seven, and Royce Bear and I took a group of seven. And we took every, we took that group of seven for that entire day from 3 p.m. all the way to the next morning till 11 a.m. They were ours. So Sunset, Milky Way, and also Sunrise. It was brutally hard. As a Milky Way photographer who avoids sunrise all the time because you gotta sleep sometime, this was getting tiring. So Royce and I started taking turns. Royce is like, I got him tomorrow if you want to sleep in. I'm like, thank you, Royce. I kiss his feet and say, thank you, Royce. And then the next day I returned the favor. And so we had A group, B group, and C group. Everyone was together on the first night. Fantastic sky. Royce and I's A group was brilliant. Great sky. We went to a place just south of Moab. You should check out Royce's Instagram to see the picture. In fact, I will link to it. Let me make a note right now. Link to Royce. I'll just write Royce Bear B. Pick. Just reminding myself to put that link in the show notes so that you can click right to it. Fantastic Milky Way. Really fun experience teaching complete beginners and intermediate photographers who are learning Milky Way photography. In fact, Leslie and Chris joined us for that one, and we had a lot of fun making jokes. And I think I probably made a fool of myself plenty of times, like I I'm want to do, and it was fun. You know, I started having started the phrase arch hole. Look at that arch hole. And I was saying it sincerely, but then it sounded so bad that it became a euphemism, or I should say a pejorative term, like arch hole. So there was the arch hole that we were capturing the light up in there and featuring it on one side of our frame, and then the Milky Way sweeping in on the top left corner. And so it's a really good shot that Royce Bear captured the night before he took us out that night. So you can check out that image over on Royce Bear's Instagram. So that night, oh, just it was fun to point out the stars with my green laser and say, this is this star, that's that star. Once you see this constellation and that constellation, you know the Milky Way's in the middle here. Having my favorite time of night, just hanging out with people where I can talk Milky Way. And then our second night 
we went for sunset and noticed that it was a bit of a cloud band over there. You look at your apps and they say, no clouds. And that's one thing that you'll find out is that if you use Dark Knight or other apps that are talking about the clouds, even the radar, they don't show the smoke. They don't, at least in the apps I was looking at, they didn't have a smoke map layer. And so it was giving me a clear sky prediction, despite the fact that it was getting very thick and very not clear. So by sunset, we had a band that was, what, 10, 15 degrees up on the horizon and coming towards us. And that made it a brilliant, absolutely brilliant red African, like an African um, sunrise sun. It was like the scene from Lion King as they come in with their silhouettes singing the song. You've got that brilliant orange red sun. In fact, Patrick got a really cool image of a half red, half orange sun at one time because of that smoke. So there was a benefit to the smoke when it came to the sun looking amazing. There was no color in the sky that was bouncing off a cloud, so landscape was just so-so. But our bridge, not our bridge, it was a, it's an arch out there, skyline arch. Being out in that position, capturing the Milky Way through it, was going to be tremendous. But then it started taking on so much smoke, and the smoke was low enough that it seemed like it was taking all of the light pollution of Moab and becoming a perfect canvas to wash out the Milky Way just enough. It didn't ruin it fully. As you'll see also in Royce Bear's Instagram, you'll see his image there. And we made the most of it. And he, he really pushed it and got the contrast out and made it look like this cloud, the smoke wasn't even there. But one of the best, absolute coolest parts was Craig's nephew, Nick. Nick, right? Oh, man, I hope I don't got that wrong, Nick. I'm pretty sure it's Nick. He had his guitar, and since it was kind of a bust of a night and he was still learning, he was enjoying just being in the terrain, the scenery, and we'd be setting up cameras, getting focused with our group of seven, and he'd be off over there singing up a storm, serenading us, playing guitar, and it was really cool atmosphere for the whole scene. So towards the end of the night, we're like, hey, Nick, get up there and let's put you on top of that lower part of the arch where you can stand in the hole. So the arch hole, we'd have him silhouetted against the light polluted clouds. They'd be a little bit of a color blast on there. So he showed up brilliantly. Plus, Royce Bear got the Milky Way to pop out. I think the overall shot was a little bit red. It was way interesting as you have some red, I think some red tones if I'm remembering because I don't have the image in front of me, but the way that he stands out is like this orange background where he's popping, holding his guitar, looking like a cowboy up there on the arch in the rock silhouette with the Milky Way going totally vertical right up through there, right next to him. I mean, if Nick becomes a well-known, man, I really hope it's Nick. I'm really hoping that I haven't blown that now. I hope it's Nick. With Nick up there, if he becomes a famous singer or he joins a band, he's got cover art ready to go. In fact, if his website right now doesn't have his songs and that image, I'd be shocked. It looked so cool. So everyone got a chance to get a nice you know, model silhouette up there of Nick with his guitar and capture the Milky Way and combine them, start, stack, track, time lapse. It was our last good night for Milky Way. Ugh. And that was only the second night. So our third group really got the shaft, Group C. So that was Moab. <sighs> the smoke. 
When it came in and ruined Milky Way, it pretty much caused a shortening of the night, and we, after sunset, we went for just hanging out. Well, when you're doing landscape photography and Milky Way photography, you don't have to end the night because of the smoke. You know your sunset's going to be a different kind of sunset. In fact, we went for the sunrise, and we never could quite get the glow, and I'm going to talk about that here in segment two, but there just wasn't quite the glow thanks to the smokiness diffusing the sun. But then the sun itself, you could look right at it and see that red, fiery, orange ball. And that was really fascinating. And that's what we spent our sunrise and sunset doing. Getting long lenses, getting far away from a silhouette of rock, and seeing how that sun played inside gaps at the tops of spires, and making sure that sun looked really big, as big as you could if you had a 600 millimeter, go for it. And so if you're in Northern California right now, or even in Oregon with the smoke coming through and you're thinking, how do I make the most of the sun? Long lenses, get a subject between you and the sun, kind of like when you did your Neowise shot of the comet where you got some cool feature, but it's far out in front of you. There's no hyper foreground in this situation. Everything is deep and distant, often silhouetted. And then the sunrise, we went to Ballast Rock, and I was able to get off to the side of the whole group, put my camera down for a time lapse, set it on a very low setting so that it was exposing, you know, I was careful not to overexpose the brighter morning as it became full sunrise. But then that orange glowing sun, not as red as the sunset the night before, unfortunately, but that orange sun came up. And it tracked across the sky, went behind a rock, above the rock, and then right above Balanced Rock. And I actually regret stopping the time lapse when I did. I assumed that by then the morning was so bright, I was looking directly at the sun, being two stops underexposed for my setting, and then holding that for my time lapse. I thought, for sure, this is a wide image by this point. Shockingly, when I stopped my time lapse, it wasn't. I actually could see... 100% detail of the rocks. The sky is pretty much white-ish blue. There's no real detail, but the sun looks fantastic, and I could have let that thing carry on through the frame and made an even better time-lapse. So now my time-lapse is interesting as it goes up, gets on top of balanced rock, and ends. And it would have been so great to have some breathing room of that time-lapse where it goes past balanced rock, That would have been fantastic. Now, if I wasn't on the workshop leader mode and having to make sure everyone else was set up, I would have pulled out a slider that my buddy Sean let me borrow. His slider is one of, oh, I forget the name, Evo something. But that slider, only a 36-inch, or only a 24-inch one, I think, because I was thinking I'm more really going to want a 36-inch one in the future. But this guy was sent, you put your tripod, your camera on there with your ball head, and then it slowly works its way over from one end of the slider to the other during the time lapse. It would have been even more interesting to have something in my hyper foreground that I was moving around while in the distance was balanced rock, and then the sun was coming up like that in that smoke. Would have been a lot of fun to do that. But it was workshop time. It was only put your camera on the tripod, get static, change a setting, lock it in, go. And so that was easy mode. But the smoke, we tried to make the most of it, and it really bummed out the Milky Way opportunities. And so when you are doing Milky Way photography, there's a third element that you should look out for in certain times of the summer, especially 
July on, you can expect this. Just keep an eye on the smoke map. If you want to find it, just go to Google and type smoke map and search that and you'll find like your first result will be fire.airnow.gov. It'll ask for your location and then it'll pull up the map with all the data and show what's going on. My, my October Oregon Coast Workshop that's coming up here in two weeks, that one shows that currently the smoke is on top of the coastline. A couple days ago, it was not. And maybe it'll be gone in a couple of days. It's going to go up and down. So you got to keep an eye on that. So don't forget the smoke map in the summer, especially in the summer like right now. Let's go ahead and take our only break of the podcast and then come back and share some adventures that I have that I have not shared yet. Come join Mary Beth Kaczynski and I out in the Upper Peninsula. We have one more slot. So in one workshop, you got the Upper Peninsula for Aurora, Landscape, Deep Sky, and Short, Short Milky Way with the, without the core. Or you can go to Oregon and see the core of the Milky Way before it sets on the horizon and do landscape photography in one of the beautiful, most beautiful locations, one of my favorite places to ever be, the Oregon coast. So check it out, workshops.photogadventures.com. Again, that's workshops.photogadventures.com. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures Podcast. This is the last segment where I'm going to tell a few adventures. These adventures were adventures that happened in the summer and recently. And I want to share them finally because I just had them in my notes. I got to tell this story. So first off, the Salt Flats repeat. Uh, If you guys know my image where I went out with Brendan on the Salt Flats in 2018, we had a very thin, thin, well, Thick enough that the water was deep enough to be away from the salt crystals of the salt flats, but there was so much water, it became a mirror that we walked out on. And so you get out there and have this transcendent experience where you can see the Milky Way in its full arch in June, and then look down and see the full arching panorama view of the Milky Way below you. You are floating in it. And there was a workshop we had. We are planning on having that experience with our workshop attendees. I had Bill with his sons, Adam and David, Jim, and Jim, I forget your son's name. I've been trying to think of it, but you know what? I don't recall. I think I've had too many names since then, but Jim came out with his son as well, Dat and Hudson. So Dat, Hudson, Jim, Bill, Adam, and David joined me out there in the salt flats, and we see it's really wet. This is promising. Look at how wet it is. It's it's at that cusp before it's totally dry, but it has just enough wetness. You think, okay, we're going to have a big puddle out there. When I drove out there in 2018, it was totally dry. And then somehow we found the puddle was just completely great out there. It must have been that it rained the day or so before. Because now seeing how wet it was, not soft, just a little bit wet on top, it was surprisingly barren of big puddles. We had a few big puddles right there where everyone was at sunset. So we went out further and scouted the area where the, where the puddle was last time. Totally dry, right up against the actual berm there we had just the dike that's sitting there was dry out to the spot that we want to drive nothing nothing worked so as we followed the dike there was an opening in the dike where the water can separate can kind of go up and flow inside the area that the dike is separating it from and the main section of the salt flats right there is a deep enough section where the puddling had not dried out and we had something to play with but we're talking 
where you could stand comfortably without being in two, three inches of water and not move the water too much, you could see that there was ice crystals, salt crystals, you know, not not ice, salt crystals sticking up out of the water that added texture to your reflection. They didn't give you that perfect reflection. So what you'd end up with is you'd look at the core and you'd see most and lots of the core reflecting down below, but then it would see no more of the top part of the band. And as you continue your panorama to the left, you might see a little bit of color showing up as this, the glimmer of water on the top of the salt flats, but you just didn't get that mirror that we had before. It was so discouraging to not have that mirror. And as we're setting up and getting our sunset shot, there's a few clouds on the horizon over on the Nevada side. You can see over Wendover, those clouds are causing some great color. And so we're going on the opposite side of this mirror now. And being that it's a small puddle, if you guys have never done this before, definitely do it. Take your camera off the tripod and get it down inches and sometimes kissing the water so that you can create what is a small puddle into a giant reflection of what's out there. The closer you go down at that angle, you end up stretching how much more of the terrain that it reflects. When you stand up tall on a tripod view and look down at that puddle, all you're really seeing is a reflection of the sky and you don't really see much. You have to get right down there on the mirror and make it last. So myself, Adam, David, and Bill were on one side. Hudson went on the other side with Dat, and Jim was with his son on the other edge. They were trying not to walk into a very slushy spot, because this is a spot where you don't drive, but you can walk out over here on it and stay away from the really bad spots. And so we're over on the other side trying to avoid any areas that we don't want to damage, and we're staying pretty safe. And then Oh, the coloring, that salmon coloring of a sunset that was hitting all of those clouds right there, that was fantastic. And it was a great, like, two to eight minutes where it was great. And that was, oh, just loved it. We did our best to handhold and get some moments. It was kind of one of those landscape photography moments that you knew that you captured the memory that it went that well, but you don't actually have a whole lot of evidence of a fantastic portfolio shot. There's just elements missing in the layout of the composition to make it great. And since it wasn't going to be great, it was more of a memory than anything. But we knew that that was fun. We're excited to see how the sky was going to look with the Milky Way. Nothing was over our Milky Way. Sunset led to first twilight period of civil, second twilight period of nautical, third twilight period of astro, and oh my gosh, everything's cloudy everything shows clouds. We're checking dark sky and going, okay, it says that right now it's cloudy until 2 a.m. Oh, okay, maybe that 2 a.m. will be okay. We can wait. Our Milky Way pano is going to be highly warped, and you're going to have to go crazy high because now the Milky Way has turned so vertical at that point. The panorama is really hard to capture that late in the morning, but we could try. Okay, we'll see what we can do. As we're waiting for our astro twilight to end, and bemoaning that we are losing our sky. Suddenly, hey, I can see a star over there. Oh, yeah, I can see a star. That's a planet. That's actually Jupiter, guys. It's right next to the core. I can see the core. I can see over here. And then it was like a curtain opened, one of those miracles of Milky Way, where all the clouds on top of the core and going and following the band, they seemed to pull away. Just They all kind of separated 
like a cheese on the top of a pizza as you pull that slice off and it's thick, 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 and then get some holes, get some holes, and then separates fully. Oh, it was terrific. Perfectly timed. I mean, I was telling dad, oh, I'm so sorry, man. You came out here in the last minute and it didn't turn out. And then Bill and I were hanging out with his sons, Adam and David, thinking, okay, at least, at least I can show you the settings and we can hang out. And that's fun. And Jim had been there the night before with his son with me. And so we had a great night one night before. So that was a bummer that no one else was there for it. And Hudson, he's always a happy-go-lucky guy, making the most of whatever was there and getting some awesome shots. And so I wasn't worried about disappointing Hudson. I knew he was going to be the optimist, the ever optimist that I am and enjoy the moment. So we were going through that kind of uh, apologetics of, well, I'm sorry that this didn't turn out, but you know, look at the, the predictions. It's actually showing pretty good. So we got kind of, it was a disappointing, unfor- so feels so good on the workshop when it can open up like that, despite the fact that it's just covered in clouds. So the Salt Flats mirror wasn't perfect, but the sky opened up and gave us a lot to play with, a lot to have fun. I started a time-lapse there, but it, this is months back now in my queue of time-lapses that I need to edit, so I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life probably catching up on those images. But that was a fantastic experience trying to replicate the mirror success Salt Flats workshops in the future, I feel like I'm going to have to do them all last minute. I'm going to have to check the conditions. I'm not entirely certain if I can expect the snow melt-off seasonal puddling to cause those puddles that work so well, or if it has to fully dry and then rain, and then it does what it did where I was out there in 2018 and got that perfect mirror. So a few more years of experience and checking those conditions and seeing what leads to it is required for me to know a little bit more about when I can take people out there and get that moment because it is like a firefall, just a brilliant experience. <sighs> That's only possible when June, by the time June happens. It's, our, it's usually still wet in May, so it's really just that one-month opportunity where hopefully it dries up just enough so you can drive out there and also be wet enough, just enough, so you can get the reflection and get the panorama of the Milky Way before it's July and now it's too late to get a panorama. So, oh boy, was that close to being a complete failure. It turned out to be pretty nice. Well, I tell you that story to lead into this. As I'm leaving, I'm saying goodbye to everyone around 2 a.m. We're all heading off. Dat's still in there doing some cool light painting around his car and getting some stars. And so he's having a blast, you know, 30 minutes into the salt flats and having fun out there. And I see there's only one other vehicle with my group. I'm packing in things, putting the camera gear away. And I'm sitting there, and I'm about to drive to Oregon. I'm doing the Crater Lake workshop now, and I'm leaving to make it there by Monday the 22nd. And right now it's the 20th morning about 2 30 in the morning right and i see this I, well I actually i hear them first i hear the sound of like just the sound of a tire of a bunch of tires driving over a clatter of dirt and mud and i'm thinking what is going on i look up and i couldn't believe it there was a vehicle out on the mud flats part of the salt flats driving at a pretty good pace towards the road and I'm thinking, oh, no. Out there, it's so muddy and clay that you're going to get stuck. How are they even making it as far as they are? But it looks like they're making it. They're going to get to the uphill. This last part, hit the uphill, go up on the road here, the paved road. They'll be good. Oh, no, they turned. Oh, no, they got stuck. It's around 3 a.m., and I watched this vehicle that's not a big truck 
not a big four-wheel drive vehicle, more of an all-wheel drive, um, not an SUV. They call it a crossover of some type. Yeah, this is a decently sized vehicle, but not something with major mud tires, nothing that's going to survive. So we're thinking, oh, no, I just watched them get stuck. So with their headlights on, you see a figure come out of the driver's side, a figure comes out of the passenger side. They kind of both crisscross in front of the front tires, go walk on the mud. We're talking, this is a hard shell of mud flats that at this time of season, it all kind of looks like waves still frozen in time where there's plates of mud cake that's turned up and flat and over. And it just kind of has this, this look of a dried up, desert that has been cracked up a bunch mixed up and then thrown back down it's not one solid substance at all the entire top surface is just cracked up broken up pieces of mud and large pieces of clay small pieces of clay and then underneath it six inches of softness thick thick soft clay just snag and snarl your tires absolute terrible to drive on clay so I see them walking around, and their ankles are disappearing around all of the, the, the clay that they're walking in and out of because it's that thick and that deep. We're watching their shoes get covered in clay, trying to figure out, oh, okay, should we have gone this way? Should we go that way? And I'm thinking, oh, no, what are they doing? I mean, I'm the last car here now except for Dad that's way out there and a few campers. And I'm, I don't want to leave and let these people just be sitting here wondering what to do. I don't have a tow rope or anything, and there's no way, even in the F-150 that I have with four-wheel drive, I had rented it, there's no way I wanted to drive out where they were. It was that crazy of a spot. And I'm leaving the names out of this so that they don't feel embarrassed because it was a mistake, but it was innocently made, and you know they don't deserve derision. But man, we can deride the idea of driving out there and how dangerous, if you come to the salt flats, Remember one thing, where it's flat, no texture, if it's dry, you can drive on it. Where it starts to get texture, stop, turn back. Don't. There's no section of the salt flats that has texture that you should be driving on. Because what that most likely means is you're heading towards a soft section and that texture is leading towards the mud flats where you will get stuck. You will be hiring that tank of a tow truck that shows up with tracks instead of tires, goes out there and pulls your vehicle out. And so you don't want to drive on anything textured. You're staying on a flat, flat, flat ground or nothing else. If it's if it's flooded, do not drive on the flooded part. It is soft and you will ruin the salt flats. So if it's dry and flat, glistening is okay because, you know, it's just got a, a wet surface on the top like we experienced. But once it starts to get in any texture, stop driving, turn around, keep your momentum, and do not get stuck. Anything in there is it is gunky and terrible. So I see that they try a few attempts rocking here and there, as you can, you can imagine a typical go and slip, go and slip. Oh, we're not going anywhere now. Tires just spinning. I go, Hey guys, you you need some help. And I got out there. We tried even my Walmart chairs to be like little ramps that they can grab onto and maybe pull themselves out. But they're at the point now that they had dug themselves back and forth, this little teeter-totter of space where it was just getting deeper and deeper with the tires, these trenches and trenches and trenches. They couldn't get enough momentum out of there. When they were initially coming in, if they just would have kept that momentum and gone up the hill, they would have probably made it, unless they hit something so bad. But what they had already driven through, 
is worse than what they were coming up on, and so I'm surprised that they made it that far, shocked that they made it that far. So if they had only kept their momentum and known that they were going the right way towards the road, they would have done it, but it's pitch black out there. You don't see anything. Unless your unless your lights are hitting that road, you wouldn't realize you're heading towards it, and you might think you're still going out to further and further and further. And so they unfortunately didn't realize where they were, despite the fact that my lights were on. And I think that they saw me in that truck that could have been their beacon, like a lighthouse on the end of the on the harbor there. So, what a bummer that they got stuck. Turns out all of our efforts pushing, standing in the mud. In fact, I got so much mud in the back part of my my truck because of that situation. It was insane. But thankfully, I stayed, helped them out, get them to their hotel in Wendover, and then they could come out in the morning when the tow truck guy can get them there. And they didn't have to spend the night or even walk somewhere to try and get back because that vehicle went nowhere. It wasn't going anywhere without assistance, and so... It was great that I waited and got them to their hotel. So it felt really good. 4 a.m., I was a little late for taking off work, Oregon coast, but it didn't really matter because I was going to sleep on the road at some point. Anyway, it didn't matter where it was. I had all of Sunday and Saturday to drive to meet up with the group in Crater Lake. So it was fine. It was fun. And boy, you need to be careful at the salt flats. If you get off the if you get off the flat area, turn back onto the flat area. Do not drive on anything textured. Don't find out how soft it is with your tires. If you have to, stop your vehicle on the flat spot, walk out on it, and see if this is something you really think you want to go on because you're going to join the rest of the world that's paid for that highly, I believe it's a bit expensive, tank tow truck that comes out and gets you. So... That was a crazy experience in the salt flats. I'm going to end with this, with the Moab mirrors. There is also mirrors in Moab. And if you've never done Moab mirror photography where the ice or the puddles are getting a reflection of the red rocks, you've got to try it. We've mentioned this before, so I'll do it quickly. But know that if you're heading out to the courtyard area, the court, yeah, courtyard, right? Not the courthouse, courtyard. The courtyard, there's the brothers and also the gossips. The gossips are my favorite. I like to get them in frame with the reflection. And so you can go out in the winter when there's ice puddles that have have, uh, frozen up and are nice and reflective. Or there's puddles of just water during different times of the year where you can get what happens at sunrise is that sun comes up over there with the golden hour and that oblique angle of light. It makes the rocks glow nice and red and then with that glowing rock showing up in your mirror reflection you get to extend that color where it stands out against the contrast of the darkness of the other areas like the the lower shrubbery and bushes and and sand all of that area still in shadow and dark while highlighted is this red red rock and i want to tell you that if you're out there in a time like we were september no puddles already I can confirm that it's absolutely possible to bring your own water and make those puddles work. In the gossips, there's a hike that you can do to get to the wash. And at the wash, there's several dimplings, you know, dimple, dimpled rock areas that have obvious puddles that settle in there because you can see the different color of of the rock. You can see that the water has been in there a lot. And you just get your, what you want to make sure is you do, you don't splash outside of that shape so that you get a nice kidney bean shape or whatever shape you're getting without any splashes off to the right and left because it's really neat to see dry rock 
a nice shape of water that you're up close, just like I was talking about before with the ones at the salt flats. You get your camera down low. Sometimes your tripod can make it work. Sometimes you have to be just loose, holding it, propping it up on something right up on the water so you can get that nice scenery to pop out and get that in there. I think the biggest challenge of the composition is making sure that space between the reflection and the main subject isn't too boring and same. So you got to look for something in a nice position that gives you any other compositional benefits between puddle and background subject because that mid-ground, you want something going on there. So look for something that matches even better. I think when we went out with our group, we were finding okay areas. We needed the smoke to be gone. With that smoke blocking the sun, we never got the glow on the rocks. You could tell that the rocks were lit, but they weren't really glowing at all. They needed direct sunlight. Didn't It needed to not be so diffused by the smoke. And I think we needed to find some better positions for, we could find puddles that would work, but then the mid-ground was a compromise. And so you want to make sure you either cut all of that out and only have the puddle lead right into the distant subject by angling far enough down that you just cut out that mid-ground or just find a different puddle along that wash and play with it. I got arrowhead... I think there were gallons, a gallon of water of Arrowhead at the gas stations there right in Moab, and I got three of them. I ended up only using two of the gallons, so you don't need that much water to make it work. I, I ended up making three puddles for three different photographers to have a nice open space with it because we had enough water, and so that's fantastic to do. I recommend it absolutely. So now when I'm saying, with the end of the podcast, I like to say, get out there and have an adventure of your own. So if you're thinking a Milky Way adventure, if what you're going to do after this is plan out your October and November Milky Way, know that the Milky Way is going to be great starting really around the, the 6th, the 5th or 6th, depending on where you're at. So here in October, we're going to have, depending on your current location and where you're going to go, you can get an hour plus of full darkness before the Milky Way sets behind the horizon. Now know this, the Milky Way core, imagine it as a, as a donut with a tiny, tiny hole. That tiny pinhole in the size of a donut is somewhere in the center. If you put that donut behind a desk until that pinhole is blocked by the desk, you still see half the donut, right? And so half the core is still visible when Photopill says that core is below the horizon. It's not saying that that entire interesting part of the core is entirely ducked down below. It counts it below the, the second that that little middle part dips below the horizon at zero degrees. So then you have a ton of Milky Way still, even when it says in an hour it's going to be set, you still have really two hours that you can capture Milky Way that's tilted off to the right in the Northern Hemisphere, and you can still see a lot of it on fire looking fantastic. You just need a nice clear horizon when it deals with that Milky Way. Otherwise, your horizon might be blocking a whole lot more of the interesting parts of the Milky Way, and you'll wish that you were staying in a nice clear open spot so that can show up nicely. So... Get out there right away. Today's the second. You can get out there as early as the fifth or sixth, depending on your location. Check your photo pills to be sure. But basically, the moon's going to be out of your way. And the, the new moon's on the 16th. And so it'll be great all the way up through the new moon. The only casualty is that at this time of the year, the days after the new moon aren't as great. Why? After a new moon, what's happening is the moon takes a little bit longer to set every night. 
So instead of setting right there during Astro Twilight, it's actually setting during your full darkness period when the Milky Way is visible. And eventually by, I guessing, the 19th, depending on your location, what's going to happen is that moon is still up in the air and finally setting, but so was the Milky Way core. So don't expect to have time after the new moon. All of your time begins from the 5th up until the new moon and for a couple nights after. So make sure you're aware of that. Don't think, okay, new moon's next Friday, so I'll probably go Sunday night. That'll most likely be fine. The moon will be in the way of some of your night, though, but not all of it. So just plan around it. Know that the moon is going to stay up later and be in your way. Lastly, November. The end of the year, the Milky Way year, ends in November. And depending on your location in the world, you're going to have somewhere around 8 to 20 minutes. You're only going to see the core for that much time before it's the awesome, still, part of the Milky Way, but not the core. So if you love the Roafuki and Terry's and you love seeing the core in its full, you're going to want to make sure you capture it right away at full darkness and you just in those first 20 minutes and then you're done. So get to a flat location. Oregon Coast is a great option. Like I mentioned earlier, you can join me for that. We're going to be there in October, so we'll have a whole hour and a half to two hours of Milky Way before we give up on that. But having the ocean horizon be the only thing in your way, the only concern we have is that marine layer and how thick it is at that time of night. So depending on how things go, conditions-wise, you have a lot of chances to see that Milky Way. You go to the salt flats in Utah, you'll have a long time before that Milky Way is out of your way. The only casualty is that in this time of year when it's south-southwest, it's on top of the light pollution of Wendover. So I wouldn't recommend the front side of the salt flats. You should drive very far out there or stop at the knolls to get away from that local light pollution. So think about your locations for your adventure. Get out there and have a photog adventure. You guys will not regret ignoring the politics, ignoring everything else going on in your potential situation in your life. And just get your camera, go out and have an adventure, end of the year on the right on the right tone. And if you want to join Mary Beth Kaczynski and I and be our last one to two people that join us for that workshop, let me know. Or just sign up. Sign up at the workshops page, uh, photog, uh, workshops.photogadventures.com. Come with us to the UP and see Aurora. Whew. I'm excited to get out there. I can't wait, especially since the new Corona hole has opened up and it's rotating on the sun right now and soon will be facing us again. It could be a couple months of really great aurora around the time that the coronal hole is facing us, you know, spewing its awesome um, radiation matter, uh, the rays of the solar arrays, the solar waves, all of that energy that's going to hit the Earth and have it bend and curl and electromagnetic buildup of the aurora, all that stuff, very tyro poorly discussed and explained. But yeah, it's a good time for aurora, so keep your eyes open for it. And about 20 days or so, it'll happen again. And Mary Beth was talking about probably on the 16th, we'll be back again. It's our last night of our workshop, but it has a two, three day leeway, and so we probably will spend half of our workshop with amazing Aurora night. So I, I really can't wait. Thanks again for listening. If you guys have any questions or ever want to hit me up for anything I can help you out with, go to Aaron or write an email to Aaron at photogadventures.com. So enjoy the rest of your weekend and see you next week. <laughs>